Hey guys, uh, welcome to Katie Lounge. Uh, we are joined by Kevin Mirko, CEO of Coin Metro. Hi, Kevin. Uh, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, Alfonso. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good as well. So uh, we're here to talk a little bit about you, about the project, um, and about Kadena in general. So before we go into Coin Metro and what it's all about, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what's your background, and what have you done so far with your life? Sure, absolutely. Let's see. It's, I got 45 years to unpack, so how much time we got? Um, <laughs> uh, so my, as, as far as my professional career goes, I've been involved in, in fintech and, and finance, traditional finance for the better part of 22 years. Uh, most of that was spent in FX and foreign exchange. So I, I've done everything in FX from, from being a trader that lost money uh, to learning how to trade, to managing accounts for others, to managing client relationships, to owning my own FX brokerage. Uh, and through that journey, I, I kind of discovered I, I kind of discovered a lot of things that I didn't I didn't know existed, and I think most retail traders don't know exist, don't know how things function, etc. A lot of eye opening things happened during that uh, during those 10, 15 years of that transition from a trader that doesn't make money to actually mm -hmm. running a brokerage, uh, and that led me down this path to be very retail centric, and so that's why you know the whole vision behind Coin Metro, etc. And we'll get to that later, I assume, but. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's it's a lot of traditional finance experience. Starting out as everybody starts out again, that's as a trader that doesn't make money that 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 just keeps on trying and eventually finds a way uh, to make money trading. Uh, all the way through to seeing kind of behind the curtain, uh, which is I mm -hmm. provides I think a little bit of of uniqueness to the way that 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 Coin Metro was built in 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 contrast to some other properties uh, that exist mm -hmm. in crypto. Okay. And so uh, in this experience of trading, did you start with um, stock stock market? How, how did you find crypto? What attracted you to crypto? So uh, from a personal level, so I got involved in FX back in the late 90s. And this was before a, a foreign exchange was actually regulated. It was very similar to what crypto was in the nascent days of, of crypto, meaning mm -hmm. there, previous to this, the only difference being that previous to that, Banks could, could trade in the FX markets and only <laughs> banks. Thus, if you worked at a bank and sat on a desk, you could trade in, in, in FX and foreign currencies. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, you couldn't. Uh, and slowly but surely, that started to change. And in the late 90s, there were a few brokerages online that were offering trading for retail clients without licenses because the license didn't actually exist yet. They just, they just deregulated the industry so that uh, anyone could trade FX, but they didn't actually create any regulation around it. Uh, for retail participants. That took a few years, seemingly very similar to what's happening or what yeah. has happened in, in the crypto industry. And so I started in FX. My, my, my dad had tried to trade stocks when I was a kid and got absolutely wrecked. Uh, and so, you know, with that in mind, I did not want to trade stocks. And to be honest, stocks to me, especially as a kid, were boring. You yeah. know, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, you put money somewhere, it sits there, you make 8%, 9% a year. Uh, you know, then you have years where you don't make any money for, you know, four or five years in a row. You have bear markets. You have, and it, it just seemed boring to me. And I didn't, I didn't understand enough about fundamentals uh, to be able to really jump in and make money. Mm -hmm. In contrast to FX, FX was super volatile. Uh, it still is volatile. It's even in some cases more volatile than crypto uh, in certain pairs. And I'm sure a lot of people around the world, like in Turkey, South Africa, Venezuela, uh, Argentina can, can attest to that. Um, but it was exciting to me. And, and because I was able to jump in and jump out and the, and the moves were big enough where leverage wasn't really needed, a small yeah. amount of leverage went a long way. 
obviously then a lot of things changed in FX and 500 to one leverage became a thing and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but crypto became in 2009, shortly after the Bitcoin white paper was released, a friend of mine actually MMSed. So multimedia messaged me on a, on a cell phone. I think I had a, it was a really bad cell phone, but I, I can't remember what it was, but it definitely wasn't a smartphone. Well, it was I, not smart. That's for sure. I, did, I didn't even remember MMS was a thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it was. So I got an MMS right. of the Bitcoin white paper and I read it. And to be honest, I'm, you know, I didn't think about it as a currency. I didn't think, I, to be honest, I didn't think it would be here in, you know, 13, 14 years later. What mm -hmm. I thought was is, wow like equity markets, bond markets, all these markets around the world, super antiquated. You can't move money quick. It takes three days to settle. You know, it's very hard to invest in another country's equity market unless you're, you know, have a lot of connections or you have to go through multiple banks, counterparties, all this crazy stuff. I thought this is going to be, this is going to revolutionize equity markets. That's the first thing that popped into my head. And I started mining Bitcoin on an iMac. I had an old <laughs> iMac. Uh, and when I say old, it was one of those iMacs that was, you know, really wide and colorful, you know, like the original, <laughs> original IMAX. I had it sitting in my office. I was living in the West Coast of Mexico at the time. I connected it to the internet for the first time in, I don't know, a couple of years and downloaded the, 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 the original uh, Bitcoin literally wallet that you could mine from. So you had, to, you had to download the entire blockchain. But at that time, you know, I think it still took like two days because obviously really? my, my speeds were shit and whatever. Yeah, but anyway, it took time, some yeah. days to download. Um, But I've ended up mining, if I remember correctly, something like 700 Bitcoin on that. I'm <laughs> I don't I don't think I want to ask you what happened to that Bitcoin. I think yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be well, sad, but okay. <laughs> I have to tell you, if if as a trader at heart, if I would have held that Bitcoin till now, I'd be a terrible trader. That's, that's um, I'd, I'd be a very lucky hodler, but I'd be yeah. an extremely terrible trader. So no, I I made a good amount of money on that Bitcoin, bought and sold in and out many, many times. But yeah, I can't say I still have any of that original mine Bitcoin, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, that's because I'm a trade, yeah, a trader at heart. And and you know, it, it, being a good trader means you you sell and take profit. You know, that's how trading correct. works. That's correct. That's um, so correct. yeah, and and subsequent to that, I had my FX brokerage, and around 2014, I think, I started to get lots of of, of traders that were asking for exposure to Bitcoin. And while on the personal side, I was already buying and selling and I was on the Bitcoin talk forum. I was literally in the forum when the Laszlo pizza transaction happened. You know, <laughs> so I had been around, I had been around a while, but I, on the professional side, I hadn't really delved in. And that really started my exploration into why there was no liquidity, why the APIs were horrible. Why was nobody using any type of real financial APIs like fix or fast? Why was everything, you know, Uh, basically REST APIs, et cetera. So that's where it started. And then, you know, three years down the line, CoinMetro became a thing. Nice, nice. Uh, nice story. And speaking of CoinMetro, um, maybe you can, for, for the few people that don't know what it is, you can give it a little, um, a brief explanation of what it is and what led you to, I, I mean, I guess what led you to build it is what you just described, but really what, what, what is the, the core Uh, values of, of Coin Metro. Absolutely. So, so back then, well, we'll go back to 2014. I had these clients on MayFX business looking for exposure to Bitcoin. I thought, well, this shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smiley face. You know, um, <laughs> essentially, I there was two two different um, exchanges that were offering APIs. At least I would say the more robust API at the time, and that was Bitstamp and Hoibi. 
And we ran some tests connecting to those APIs to see what pricing looked like, what, what the difference between each tick looked like, you know, from one tick to the next, how much the price would move, what the volatility looked like. Because our FX brokerage or my FX brokerage was about not taking risk because we, we were very upfront and transparent to our clients. We had a very small client list, but we actually, the majority of our clients over the entirety lifespan, the entire lifespan of the business, which was roughly 10 years, were profitable. In contrast to most retail brokerages where 70 to 80% are not profitable over time, we actually had 60 to 80%. It fluctuated over, I think at the end, we were probably hovering around 70% of our clients were profitable. And so it was a, a very different business model. And so I, I, I was trying to find a way to offer this type of liquidity, what, what we would call STP or straight through processing. I didn't want to be a market maker. I didn't want to make mm-hmm. money when people lose, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it was impossible. So the journey started there. The initial idea was, well, somebody's got to aggregate liquidity for Bitcoin because there's going to be other players in the market, not just my FX brokerage, but there's going to be other brokerages that want this. And so that's where the process started. Then somewhere down the line, 2016 into 17, the ICO bubble really emerged, Mm -hmm. right? 2014, the first ICO happened, which was MasterCoin. Nobody really remembers that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in 2017, to the end of 2016, into 17, into the end of 2017, as the bubble started to grow in crypto, ICOs went rampant. And I thought, well... You know, my dad taught me one thing that, I, that, that I'll always remember. Maybe it might have been my grandfather who taught my dad or then taught me. Maybe we were all in the room <laughs> at the same time. But basically said, you know, if you're going to start a business, uh, never use your own money. And that may sound crazy to some people that never started a business or those that have started small businesses, because I've started many small businesses where you always use your own, own money, right? Because you don't really know there's any alternatives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're going to take on all the risk, put in all the blood, the sweat and the tears, you, you, somebody else has to take some risk. And usually that comes from, you know, people funding a project. And I thought the ICO idea to me is still to this day, the biggest innovation that's happened in crypto. I don't think anything touches it because the the ability for small businesses to be able to fundraise either from the community, their community, or just the the world at large without having to go through so many hoops and and, and be able to create amazing ideas and et cetera is, is absolutely amazing because it also allows all these retail people to get involved on the ground floor. doesn't mean they're all going to make money. But yep. they have the opportunity to make money. And that, that's amazing. So we, I decided, well, let's do an ICO. So we did an ICO. Through that process, I thought, you know, my whole experience has been with retail traders. I know about institutions because I've traded on desks. I know how the institutional side of the business works. But it's disingenuous to me because the vast majority of the population that trade or get involved in any type of financial opportunity only see like one eighth of really what's happening behind the scenes. So I said, well, maybe aggregation of liquidity, we'll let somebody else do that. You know, let somebody else handle that side of the business. Let's create something that's transparent, that people can trust, that works on, you know, putting the client's needs in front of the business. That's what we did in the FX business, and it did very well. We kept it very niche. You know, there wasn't many clients. We had about maybe 700 active clients, but we, we kept it small on purpose because it was a very small team. I knew everybody's name. I still know their first names. In <laughs> fact, some of them are clients at, at CoinMetro now. And so the, the idea was, okay, let's build, let's build an ecosystem that puts the client first, that puts transparency first, that lets people understand how the market works so they don't take you know, stupid bets, they don't make stupid mistakes. We try to help them do research so that they don't pick things that end up you know, going to zero. They're not putting their money in you know, Shibu Inu or you know, whatever, <laughs> these or safe moon. You know, let's get people away from the safe moons of the world and bring mm-hmm. them to something that can actually drive value over time. 
And that was that was the premise. And obviously the vision and the mission hasn't changed. I guess the way we we, we word them, you know, they get the words get prettier over time. But at the end right. of the day, that's that's the mission. Clients come first. If you if you help clients succeed, if you help people do better in their lives, your business is going to be fantastic. Simple yeah. as that. So great customer support, really good, fo- re- really intense focus on making sure that the client journey is easy. It's understandable that it's good for the beginners, the pros, the intermediates, all that great stuff. And then just building a nice suite of products that allow people not only to, you know, not everybody's going to be a trader. And if you think that anybody can be a trader, you're wrong. I used to teach trading. I guarantee you not everybody can be a trader because it's not about, trading is not difficult from a technical sense. You don't need to draw a bunch of lines on a chart. You don't need to be a master in fundamental research. It's emotional, right? It's emotional. It's emotional, 100%. Well, let's say 99% emotion. If you, as a human being, can control your emotion, make a plan and stick to it, I can give you a dartboard and a blindfold and you can make money trading. But if you can't, and most people can't, then you're never going to make money trading. It doesn't matter if if I give you a system that makes me money, you won't make money, right? Simple as that. And so, and so anyway, focusing on those things is, is, is what, you know, kind of founded Coin Metro and what has seen Coin Metro grow over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, you know, if you go into like our Telegram or our Discord or you come to one of my AMAs on Fridays, you'll, you'll see that we have a very, very vibrant and, and very connected community because mm-hmm. everything we do, we bounce off the community. It's like our sounding board. We don't have, you know, a, a group of old white fat bankers in a room somewhere where we talk about products, you know, we or we <laughs> talk about what do you think we should do? What's the next the- big thing? The advisors. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we never went down that advisor route. You know, yeah. here's a billion tokens. Can I put your name on my project? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't do that. Okay. No, uh, it's funny you mentioned not everyone can be a trader because I, I'm sure I cannot be. And I I, I think uh, um, intrinsically, I prefer to be uh, like an investor and hold it. And of course, we all need to, to take profit at some point. But I, I hate the stress of... Oh man, did I get did I catch the bottom? Yeah, or really? is it it's going down? Again? I don't like it, so I prefer to just hold it. Uh, yeah. And to be honest, Alfonso, of, that that's yeah. that's how you make money in this market. I mean, I the best trade. Look at look at Art Capital. If you saw the recent stories about Art Capital that they sold off, I don't know, a, a ton of shares of Facebook or, or, or sorry, Coinbase that they bought uh, oh. near the high uh, and now sold off at near record lows. Yeah. And that's that's one of the best run hedge funds in the world. Exactly. And so the, the way you make money, even if you think you're a trader, so I trade, so I trade, I don't trade as much as I used to, but I dabble here and there and I make a little bit of money. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, you know, I have pretty good money management, so I do okay. But mm-hmm. the vast amount of money I've made in crypto is by holding. And that, mm-hmm. that's because crypto, people think that equities are like even I said when I was a kid, I thought they they sucked. You know, they were slow, and I wasn't. It wasn't really interesting for me. But the foundation of the equities markets is that nobody trades them. Meaning, there's not nobody. I mean, lots of people start out when they're kids or when they're young adults, and they say, "I'm going to trade stock," and then they go, eh, "You know, no." <laughs> but the vast majority of money that goes into stocks comes through pension funds, comes through endow- it comes through endowments. They just buy and hold. They're hodlers. If yeah. everybody traded, if everybody was a day trader in equities, it would not go up. It would go down almost all the time. Exactly. Because yeah. most people can't trade. And so with crypto, it's the same thing. It, it's a, the best way to make money in crypto is to find things you're passionate about, find things that you believe are going to do well, research companies, research teams, find something solid, have some money in the majors, Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, 
those those things are what dictate the market and will dictate the market for the for the better part of the you know the the, the near and middle future. But you find companies that you believe in, you put some money in, you dollar cost average, exactly. and you hold. That's it. That's that's my strategy, and I think it it's it's the best for it me. Works. At least. It absolutely it works, works. Yeah, and uh, less risk than than just crazy trading, which I I, I find it funny and I, interesting, and I I follow a lot of traders on. Uh, Twitter and YouTube, and it, I, I I find it fascinating, but it's just not for me. So I'm glad that you 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 worry about both sides of the coin, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, so one thing, uh, an idea that that's kind of I don't know around is that uh, exchanges are like evil, the anti decentralization to the decentralized exchanges, so to speak. How do you combat that feeling? How do you uh, try to make people understand that that's not the only thing exchanges are. Sure. I'll give you an analogy from the FX markets, which I think is an important one, and then I'll answer your question. So the analogy is this. When I was a trader, uh, I was trading at several different uh, exchanges, and I was managing funds and, and also trading direct with, with one or two banks. And when my biggest focus as a trader at that time was to make sure that I was getting filled directly to another participant. Because in my mind, that if I was getting filled by a market maker, they were trading against me. And it was against kind of, it was against, <laughs> since they were trading against me, I didn't want to trade with them, right? And in my mind for years, this was, a, this was a big thing. And I thought that everybody thought this way. And when I went around in circles that I was in, it was the same thing. Oh yeah, I wouldn't trade with a bucket shop or a market maker. So we used to call market makers in, in FX, bucket shops. I'm not going to trade with a bucket shop. I'm, I'm going to, I want to trade in an ECN, an electronically, an electronic commercial network, something that matches orders to other clients because it's fairer. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I got into the retail business and I found out nobody cares. If you, if they get <laughs> filled, they're happy. They don't care who fills them. If I fill you with a legitimate order and you get slipped and the guy that, that fills against you doesn't slip you, guess who you like better? You like the guy that didn't slip you because you don't really care how things work behind the scenes. And in some, in some ways, that's good. In some ways, that's really bad. And, you know, in life, lots of narratives are created by a minority. And the minority thinks the majority believes the same narrative. And I think this, to a, to a great extent, not your keys, not your crypto, is a narrative of the minority that the majority doesn't necessarily care. And I think there's, there's, there's valid reasons for that. First reason. It is accurate to say that many exchanges have been hacked. Very accurate. Centralized exchanges. It happens. It happens quite often. Just like it's accurate to say many banks are robbed. It happens. Actually, it happens quite often. Now, when Wells Fargo used to deliver gold across the U.S. in a wagon, lots of wagons were robbed. So people stopped putting their gold and their assets in banks because there was no insurance. And they put them in their houses. Well, what happened? Lots of houses were robbed. Now, the difference back between the 1800s and now is that when your house is robbed in the 1800s and you lived on a plane somewhere in Montana, you're not really telling anybody because there's nobody to tell, right? Uh, nowadays, though, you, you go on Twitter, you go on social media and spear phishing and phishing and people getting hacked and bridge, bridges getting hacked are a thing. The difference is, is that with a centralized organization that's regulated and that actually wants to continue to do business, the, it, the onerous is on them to make things right. Meaning if, you know, a big centralized exchange that's regulated or a small centralized exchange that's regulated that wants to do well by their customers, 
first of all, they're spending a lot of money on security. They're going to spend a lot of money on infrastructure. They're going to spend a lot of their money on making sure that they're safe. And God forbid something happens where they're hacked and they want to continue to do business, then they're going to do whatever they can to make things right with their clients, meaning paying them back. And eventually, now we do have insurance now, which we didn't have two, three years ago. Fireblocks is, is insured. Bitcoin Go is insured. Most of the big uh, custody agents that centralized exchanges use are insured. And as we move down the line here, we're going to see more and more insurance. Eventually, we're going to see something like the FDIC or the Omnibusmid in, in the UK, where there's insurance from a government level. It's going to happen. When we see that transition, I think a lot of people, most people, we talk about people not being traders and being traders. Well, I'll give you the, I, everybody loves to talk about your grandma and crypto. And I know that's really cliche, but I'm going to throw grandma in the conversation, right? So uh, even your mother, never mind your grandmother, but somebody older who doesn't necessarily understand tech, where are they safer? Trying to figure out how to connect to MetaMask through their ledger to go on to OpenSea to buy an NFT, you know, to buy an NFT, for example, or do the same thing to go on a, a decentralized platform and buy any, any crypto asset or by going through an easy UI controlled by a centralized exchange where they can use their dollars, their euros, whatever, get easily into the market, few button clicks. It's understandable for them. And they don't need to take the burden of security on their own shoulders because at the end of the day, they're not going to be as good as or professional in security as that, as that regulated, well-to-do centralized exchange. So what I think is great, though, is that there's options, right? Because in, in traditional finance, you don't have an option. You can't go to the bank and go, you know what? I'm going to withdraw my money because there's this really cool decentralized <laughs> bank down the road that I'm going to pop my money into. You know, That doesn't exist. So the fact that that exists, I think, is great. And I think at the end of the day, what's going to happen is because of regulatory issues, also because of just most people won't learn enough to be able to put that on their own shoulders, right? They just won't. It, 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 most people won't. Well, maybe even if it's 20% of the population, it'd be amazing, but I think it's going to be less that actually go through all those steps and want to take on that burden, right? So most people don't want to take on that burden. They won't want to. And as more insurance comes into the market, the idea of not your keys, not your crypto becomes less and less of a thing because at the end of the day, we're going to end up with hybrid solutions, right? Because we'll end up with kind of centralized order books, decentralized settlement, meaning you know, trading, if anybody's ever traded out there on a decentralized order book, it sucks. If you're an actual trader and you really want to make money trading, you can't do that effectively on a decentralized order book. Yes. One, because it's, because it's mm -hmm. hidden to you. You don't understand where the liquidity sits. You don't understand. You, you, they may give you a warning of how you're going to be slipped, but that warning is just a warning. You don't really know what's going to happen. You can't trade in and out of the book. You can't set order. It, it is just a bad, it's just bad for trading. So real traders meaning that are either high frequency or whatever, are always going to use centralized order books. And that's really where the liquidity is going to be. So at the end of the day, no matter how good decentralized order books become, they're never going to be able to compete on latency and other things with centralized order books. No, but decentralized, meaning settlement between parties so that you don't have to put your assets in a centralized wallet, that's a great thing. I think that's where we're headed. I think exchanges like CoinMetro, other exchanges that... Are do, I want to do right by their clients will end up in the next few years with a very high, with a very much hybrid model where some pieces are centralized to give the best experience and allow for people to have a choice. And some of the uh, products are decentralized for the same reason. Yeah, no doubt that uh, for now you, you cannot trade on, on any decks. I mean, yeah. as long as you have an AMM uh, model, I, th I don't think that will be possible. Like effectively you can, 
uh, buy assets that are on that are not on any exchange to hold. Yep. I think that's that's a good a good thing for now. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree that it, it's it's not very good for traders. Uh, and I do see what you're getting with with security. And I see a lot of people. I mean, a lot of friends come to me, ask me how to take money of exchanges, and some of them I tell them, well, you don't need to. There's no point for you. You're not going to go on any uh, decentralized application. You don't have like millions stacking on an exchange. Don't worry. What I think uh, is the main concern with the not your uh, keys, not your crypto, right? Is the like because you're you're taking the approach that you want to do good by your customers, but maybe not all exchanges want to do that, right? So yeah. that's that's kind of the the only thing that I can see that I, I worry about. Like if you if you have an exchange that wants to manipulate an asset and maybe doesn't have enough liquidity to let people withdraw and uh, cuts the, the yeah the yeah I, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you 100 there and I think there's also you know the bad side of decentralization as well because there are, there have been decentralized exchanges that have also uh, you know run away with funds because they simply sit on the other side of transactions you yeah. don't know who you're transacting with so you could be transacting with the same decks. Um, and so, so that, 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 that comes down probably to at least a certain extent to proper regulation. Yeah. And one of the re one of the issues with a decentralized exchange that's truly decentralized is how do you regulate it? So, you know, you, you still, and, and it's not a trustless system because you have to trust the system. And so regardless of how trustless something is, there is still an element of trust you must have when you interact with it. If, and if I think can, that if you can read the the smart contract, I guess it's it's trustless. But I, I mean, for ninety ninety nine percent of people, it's not trustless. That's yeah. That's and 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 even when you read the smart contract, first you have to understand that there's a learning curve there, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which isn't going to be for most people. Um, but but even then, it, what, as soon as you you know, if you're trying to bring in normal capital like fiat capital into in, and 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 you're going to have to use a bridge, or you end up having to use something else again, maybe decentralized. But we all know what's happened there. So. In many ways, you know, this industry in total, decentralized, centralized, hybrid, whatever, is still very nascent. It's still very new. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things we still need to fix as a as a as a community in general. There's a, still a lot of things we need to build. Um, I think the great thing is is that because there's choice, we kind of we we get the best of both worlds. So it, as long as there's choice, I'm I'm happy in this industry. I don't want decentralized exchanges to go away, and I don't want centralized exchanges to go away. Yeah, you know, I, I want I want clients to have the option. I know that there's certain things we're never going to be able to do being partially centralized that decentralized ecosystems will be able to do. And I think that's great because we can still provide value during the chain, right? Because people mm -hmm. need to come in from fiat. They need to get out to fiat. They need to be able to talk to someone and ask questions. And we can provide things that decentralization can't. And decentralization yeah. provide things we can't. So as long as we can live in harmony, I think it's it's a, it's a great step towards the future. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the fiat on ramp to Coin Metro. I think that's one of the best uh, I've ever used. So congrats on that. And it's uh, appreciate that. actually yeah, actually it's the only the only exchange I used to to uh, bring fiat in and out. Uh, but one of the things that people kind of talk about, like being not. Uh, it's not there yet. It's the liquidity. Like there's not a lot of liquidity yet. Uh, how? What's your plan to kind of boost it to bring more people into the into the exchange? Sure. So yeah, I one thing I'd, I'd start off just by saying that volume and liquidity are not the same thing. Yeah. 
And so I do know, and, and I'm not, I don't think you're making that mistake, but I know a lot of people do make that mistake. So they look at volume and, you know, as a small exchange, as an exchange that's been building for like three and a half years and really ha- is just now kind of going down the, the path of, of, of mass marketing, uh, we know that our volumes are less than most of our competitors. We also know that we're building an ecosystem where volume isn't necessarily the first thing that we look at because we're trying to build something that gives be- that gives a lot of benefit and value to people that aren't necessarily just trading in the crypto mm-hmm. markets, right? So back to your question. Um, so, you know, liquidity comes from a few different areas, right? We, we, we do have liquidity providers. We have some big liquidity providers. We have some regulated liquidity providers, et cetera, that feed into our order books. However, we, we, we have this kind of, I guess, um, this nickname that goes around about us or this, uh, people call us the gem exchange. Yeah? And that means that, and finding gems um, is not easy. And normally those assets that we find, kind of the diamond in the rough, are small, they're illiquid, and yeah. no one is pricing them. Mm-hmm. And so what some of our competitors do, and this is not just in crypto, this is in FX, this is in equities, this is in any market. Well, less on the equity side, if you're talking about major equity markets, but when you talk about like pink sheets and small illiquid stocks, this happens there as well. What happens is, is that the larger uh, exchanges that have much more capital on hand will simply fill the order book themselves. And so they fill the order book with a couple hundred thousand, uh, you know, dollars, euros, pounds, whatever the case may be. And they just dynamically trade within their own order book. Simple as that. They take on risk. Some of them may go fractional reserve to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and those are two things that I generally don't want to do because what it does is it brings conflict. And I know, again, this is probably one of those things that while you're in the business, you're like, oh, that's great. When you're outside the business, you don't really care. At the end of the day, the client just wants to be filled. They don't necessarily care how you fill them. But from an ethos standpoint, I want to make sure that everything we do at CoinMetro follows that mission and vision and purpose. And so sitting in the order book and trading against our clients, even if they get good fills, generally will end up meaning that they lose money over time. Because as we build up bigger positions, we need to get out of them, which means in in a small market cap like a gym, we are going to affect price. So you talk about market manipulation. It's not necessarily market manipulation, but if we're sitting on the, let's say, the sell side of the book as people buy. Eventually, we, we have to buy back in. On the other side of the coin, if people are selling to us, we need to sell back. And we're going to do it in massive chunks because obviously we're not going to do it as soon as we buy in or sell out because it, it basically it's impossible, right? The, the market would just stay neutral. And yeah. so that creates a conflict of interest one that I don't really want to want to have to deal with. It's an easy solution because we could do it, but it creates a major conflict of interest. So how do we get around that? One is by working with more and more liquidity providers. Unfortunately, there's a bit of a catch-22 there. Most liquidity providers have never been in retail. So they have an institutional mindset. And that mindset is, if you don't do this much volume, we don't want to give you liquidity. What they don't understand is, is that without the liquidity, it's hard to do the volume. Yeah. They kind of go hand in <laughs> So we, fortunately, we've built up a re- at least a good enough reputation over the years that we're now talking to many more liquidity providers and we're slowly bringing on two or three or four more. And some of these are very big names that otherwise don't work with smaller entities like CoinMetro. And so over the next coming months, especially now, unfortunately, you know, we're in a downturn as far as pricing goes. But in terms of access, a lot of these players that wouldn't want to talk to us previously or said, you know what, you guys are doing a great thing, but unfortunately, until you hit this point, we can't do business with you, are now opening the door because obviously volumes have dropped everywhere and now they're just hungry for some business. And so more liquidity providers are coming. And then second to that is an easy answer, 
It's more clients. And historically speaking, you know, we haven't uh, done a lot of marketing. And now we're just starting. We just finally put together what we feel is a, is a rock solid team in marketing. And we're finally pushing some capital towards marketing. And while we've only done really small tests up to this point, we're starting, we're getting ready to gear up. Those tests have been really, really good. We've been able to keep our acquisition costs down far lower than, than most of our competition. Um, and now we're looking at conversions. And, and so I would say when you look at CoinMetro, we're kind of like the Apple if, if you were alive back in the 90s when they had these commercials about Apple and, and, and Windows and like the Windows guy was all stu- stuffed up and like, you know, had glasses and the Apple guy was kind of cool. And, you know, and, and, and if you look at it from a high level, Apple never created anything. What they do is they take products that already exist and they make them in a very specific way that they attract a very specific clientele. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways, we're similar to Apple. We're not going to be the first most of the time. You're not going to see us take major risk put client capital at risk. We're not running to three arrows. We didn't have money at Celsius. We weren't trying to, you know, conquer the world in a day. Uh, We're not buying stadiums, you know, we're not doing any of that stuff. What we're doing is, is we're on a, we're on a, let's say maybe sometimes a turtle pace, but we're working very diligently to make sure that we service our clientele and, and, and do good by our community. And sometimes that, that moves a bit slower than the rest, but at the end of the day, uh, it works for us. And in the end, we, we create something that that many people can enjoy and benefit from. So more clients, more liquidity providers. Once, you know, more cl- clients bring liquidity. New clients that come into the market aren't selling because they don't own anything. They're buying. So that helps create buy-side liquidity. Buy-side mm-hmm. liquidity then helps us get more liquidity on the sell side from our liquidity providers. And over time, we build better books. And I'll just mention that in majors, again, key caveat here is liquidity is not the same as volume. So while you may see small volume on days in those majors, we have ample. I mean, you you could come in with a limit order and fill a hundred million euros worth of Bitcoin in a relatively short amount of time. You might not see it in the book, but that book is dynamic. So you put your order in, it'll fill and it'll fill relatively quickly. So obviously on small caps, it's a different yeah. story. Small caps meet, we have liquidity providers, they take some risk. We also have clients in the book, but that requires, you know, more of those clients to come and fill out those books because get trying to get liquidity on a, on an asset that has a 10 million market cap or a 20 million market cap or a hundred million market cap is almost impossible. Institutions won't touch it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, One of the things I wanted to to discuss with you as well uh, was the token uh, XCM. Like what was the reason behind building a token for, for, for your, uh, exchange. And can you tell us a little bit about its utility and use cases? Sure. So I'm going to be really honest with you. The first reason that anybody created a token was to raise money. It's treasury. That's just the honest truth. Uh, and as I said, back in my initial response, uh, one of my first responses, uh, sitting here on this interview about ICO, I still think ICO is probably the biggest innovation that crypto has brought to us. And anybody that's ever tried to fundraise would, would, would probably echo that same comment. And, and so the first reason anybody brings a token into this world is treasury. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean money in your pocket as an owner. What it means is, is that it's a way to bring in capital and or be able to move capital and or be able to monetize pieces of an ecosystem that otherwise would be very difficult to monetize. The real question starts to roll in is when you go, okay, we're going to launch a token, treasury. Now, you want to make sure that that token has use cases because if it has no use case, obviously it has no value. If it has no value, no one's going to want to buy it, trade it, and or use it. 
And so you start building an ecosystem around that token and trying to figure out how intrinsically you can stick that token into different value centers of your, of your ecosystem. And as an exchange, as we grow and the more products we bring in, we're able to add more value to the token. When you start out with, with the utility token, let's say your, your, your standard utility token, what does it do? In many ways, it provides access. So some, you know, whether you're, you're paying fees in that token, et cetera. For us, when we sat down initially and said, okay, do we token gate CoinMetro? Is it that you have to own the token to use the services? And we thought, well, that's pretty static. So that means you come in, you buy one token, 100 tokens, whatever the you know, amount may be. And that's it, right? You have access. So what happens? And, and this is before, you know, staking was a thing. This is before people were thinking about APR on, on lock balances, et cetera. And so, okay, that, that doesn't make much sense. Plus it limits your ability to have people test your product. And you put, another, you put another step in the process of them onboarding. They have to onboard first, then they have to buy a token, then they can actually use your services. So no, no, no. So how do we get the same effect without actually having them buy the token? And what we came up with was pretty simplistic but in the end, pretty powerful. And that's that every transaction on our, on our spot exchange, uh, we get paid commission, obviously, and that commission is paid in the base asset you're trading. So that's mm-hmm. the first asset in the pair, right? So if you're trading, uh, you know, whatever, BTC euro, we get paid in BTC. If you're trading XCM, you know, euro, or, or then you will get paid in XCM, et cetera. So every trade that happens on the spot exchange, we take what we're paid and we buy XCM in the market, in the market, in the book, uh, and then we literally burn, uh, well, it was a hundred percent of what's, what's on the spot exchange, hundred percent. So that created a mechanism by which the token becomes deflationary because over time, the more people that use the exchange, the more people that actually pay commission, the more XCM we're buying, the more XCM we're, well, well now, now we're burning before we were vaulting. And that was basically because of regulatory uncertainty about burning. So, um, but now we do burn, uh, XCM tokens. So that was the first, that was the first step towards utility. And the question is, okay, all these products we're going to build, how do we tie in XCM into the, into those products? And over time now we've built a staking platform. So you're able to stake your XCM. We now allow collateral on our margin platform in XCM. So you're able to use your XCM as collateral to be able to trade other assets on leverage. Uh, you also get discounts. Those discounts uh, go across different products, uh, the margin platform, our spot exchange, et cetera, up to 40% off. Uh, the commissions that are charged on your account, depending on how much XCM, how much of the token you own. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those are all based on a tiering mechanism, tier one, tier two, tier three, which go from 10 to 25,000 to 50,000 XCM. We're now going down the path to create what I would say are are very exciting tokenomics. And what we've done, the first one that we we did, which actually was last year, was adding what we call Mars to the uh, staking. Oh, I saw that. So Mars is multi-asset rewards. So everybody wants to go to the moon. Well, we want to go to Mars, right? We want to go a little further. <laughs> um, and, Mar- and Mars is, is a beautiful concept in that you, you buy one asset, you buy XCM, you want to support the ecosystem, you want to get discounts, you want to be able to take advantage of all the new tokenomics as they come out over the coming months and years. So you buy XCM and, and you get into one of these tiers and you stake it. You're making some APR, APY as well in XCM. Great. But known as the gem exchange, we like to list things that have the potential to do really amazing, uh, really amazing stuff with their prices, right? We, we, we look for teams, we look for projects that we believe are going to do very well fundamentally and also, you know, on the price side. But that means that you would need to have excess capital to buy into every single time we list something, right? And not everybody's going to have excess capital every time there's a new listing. Mm-hmm. So how do, we, how do you take advantage of those listings? Well, Mars. 
as we grow, we our goal is, is to take every asset that we list, every single one, and find a way to make passive income out of that asset and then pass that passive income on to our clients, whether that be staking, lending, borrowing, uh, and, and who knows what down the line as DeFi and as CFI and as hybrid FI become a thing. There are going to be lots of ways to generate passive income. Our first goal, pass that income on to our clients. But then obviously we make some money on these, on these vehicles as a company. You know, we take 10, we take 20% of what's occurred and that becomes revenue for the company. Well, what can we do with that revenue? How do we, how do we give more value back to our token and back to our community? So that's what Mars is. Basically, we add assets to Mars and we take a percentage of what we earn from whatever passive income opportunity exists on the platform and we pass it on to XCM holders. So over time, you get, you know, two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 different assets, even though you just bought one. Mm-hmm. And imagine even if that, that, that asset that you get might account for, you know, a 10% bonus on what you're getting. So if you're getting a 4% APR, you get 0.4% in that asset. Sounds like a small amount, but if that asset does 100x, does a 10x, does a 20x, you can do the math. It becomes quite exciting. Uh, and those assets are paid as long as we're making passive income on them uh, mm-hmm. as far as company revenue goes. So that was a major, I think, piece of our of our tokenomics that was released at the end of at the beginning of this year. And uh, we added, I think, initially three or four assets into three assets into Mars. One of those was UST, <coughs> cough, cough. Um, which obviously has now been, has now been removed. Um, Kadena was another one. We were, we were uh, fortunate enough, you know, when we list things, we generally look to actually build with them. We don't, we don't just list things to list them. And Mm -hmm. so with Kadena, listing Kadena, being the first centralized exchange to list Kadena, uh, we actively started working with them. And one of the things we did was we created a staking program, uh, for Kadena back based on their bonding program. Um, and that, that bonding program filled up you know, very quickly. I think it took a few days and it was filled uh, completely. Uh, but that was one of Amar's assets as well. Now, Kadena bonding has come to an end as of July 14th. So now we're currently working with them to see how we can reactivate these things and, and provide more value. But we just added, I think, THT to Mars. And we have a few other assets uh, sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the waiting area that are going to become added. So as I said, over time, the goal is to have every asset we list sitting in Mars and also sitting on some passive income. Uh, and, and we're also looking, we have an invest platform. We've done things in the past where token holders have, have gained priority access into a bond and equity raises. Uh, we will continue to do that in the future. Um, and also we have this thing called the family airdrop, which obviously we actually have, haven't done yet since the ICO. The idea behind the family airdrop is as we expand and as we list new tokens, we, we request an amount of tokens from those listings and they get airdropped to everyone. That's also part of the XCM utility. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't actually officially done one as of yet, but as we start to list new projects, uh, especially in the years to come as, as, the, as the company grows and we have more leverage in the industry, mm-hmm. that's yeah. also a, a major perk, I think, that goes to XCM holders. Awesome. Uh, w- one of the things about the token that I, you didn't mention now, but I, you, you, you've got to explain to me because I, I can't figure it out. It's the price floor that you that you set on X, XCM. So how does that work, and how fair do you think that is in terms of market uh, open market? Sure. So I'll start with the, the end of the question first about, okay. about it being fair or not, and I'll tie in some of the some of the, the first question you asked as well. So I think when we look at utility tokens in general, we we as an industry we're very cognizant to make sure that there's a difference between utility and security. 
And we do that almost in every aspect of, of how, the, how, how our businesses operate, right? We really want to make sure this is utility because it has an ecosystem. It has a platform. It, it, it does this. It does that. It has this. But on the trading side, utility tokens are treated as securities, 100%. They're traded just like securities in what you, what you just described as an open free market. That means that they are speculated on. Now, we all know they're speculated on. Uh, but when you talk about true utility and true like intrinsic ties back to the business, I think an exchange is one of the most comprehensive, probably util utility tokens when you talk about exchange tokens, simply because the business that, you, that, that the company is in is, well, trading. It's about moving assets and, and you have your own asset that, that is moved. It powers the ecosystems, et cetera. It's a product at the end of the day. It's not a security. It's a utility token and it is a product. And I would say that XCM is probably one of the most important products that CoinMetro offers. As a product, we give value back to the client when they purchase that product. That, that value has a price. Now, allowing a, a, a simple free market, one that is illiquid, to dictate the price of a product for any business would be insanity. Imagine if, you know, you could go buy, you know, anything at your grocery store based on the free market principle. So you just walk in and you want a banana. There's nobody else in the store because you went there at 3 a.m. No one else wants a banana. So you pay, you know, one cent for your banana and you walk out. Now, when you go there at three o'clock in the afternoon, that banana may cost you two euros because there's a line of people that also want that banana. That's not necessarily how free markets work when it comes to, when it comes to products, when it comes to commercialization of products. At the end of the day, XCM is a product. That is probably, that is the first, the first reasoning for a price floor. We've done price floors in the past, one cent, three cents, 12 cents, and now 60 cents. In the past, when we did price floors, they were in different markets, different market sentiments. And when we did the price floor, we never really saw the price floor hit. It allowed for people to move their orders, move their orders up. Price floor was, was, was in place. And that was it. Uh, trading happened and, and it necessarily, it always stood above the price floor. In this recent price floor, after it was initiated, there was about 2 million sitting in the book. Uh, and then, well, what happened, happened. Three arrows, Terra, market collapse. Uh, well, that, that, that was the catalyst. But in reality, the real reason for the market collapse is, well, inflation, war, uh, yeah. supply chains, uh, energy costs, you know, et cetera. That's the real reason. Yeah. Right? But that happened. And so what we saw was, was a lot of panicked people that lost a lot of money across their portfolio and started selling XCM to recoup some of that investment. Ate through that 2 million really quickly. Now, we have, we have investors and we have other um, clients that, do, that support XCM extensively, but we ask them to pull themselves from the buy side for the time being. Reason being is that having an overinflated buy side right now simply gets, to, it just gets depleted. People, people are, have lost money everywhere else so they simply want to recoup that investment. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you know, part of being, let's say, a CEO is, is about fiduciary responsibility. Normally, that sits to your shareholders only in a normal company, right? You have shareholders, you have fiduciary responsibility, meaning that when you make a decision, your first, the first reason you make any decision has to be to the benefit of the shareholder, which means and in many companies, it's sometimes to the detriment of the client, but it's to the benefit of the shareholder. Now, in a company like this, one where we're ultra transparent, we do a, you know, AMAs, we have a community, we constantly soundboard off the community. Our fiduciary responsibility isn't just to shareholders, it's to token holders. Mm -hmm. And in a market that's volatile, 
and and with a with a company that has a long-term vision and with most of our clients sharing that long-term vision that fiduciary responsibility is about protecting value and so part of the price floor another piece of the price floor is about protecting value and yes there's an argument to be made that in certain market circumstances like we're currently dealing with now where liquidity on the buy side uh, dries up and is eaten through that people are, have an inability to be able to exit the market and that 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 is a fair argument but that argument is weighted by the fact that while a few people may be looking to exit the market, the vast majority want to maintain value. And so making that fiduciary call for token holders, you know, any, any decision you make is never going to be liked by everyone. What you need is to make a decision that is liked by the majority. And at this time right now, even now, that price, the price floor and the reasoning behind it is definitely backed by the majority. Of, of, and not even the majority of XCM, because that would be a that would be a, a weighted response, right? Because obviously there are ten or twenty investors that hold the not the majority, but a large majority of XCM. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not about just those you know ten, fifteen, twenty people. It's about the majority of XCM holders wanting to maintain value. And right now, our one of the major focuses at Coinmetrics is to make sure we reignite that order book. You know, obviously you can still buy XCM, and there are people buying XCM, but the the it looks scary in that there's a lot of you know XCM sitting on the sell side because it's simply piled up. In reality, yeah. it's 12 to 13 people, the vast majority yeah. of that XCM. And so we're already in conversations with them to 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 get them to help us get the book back to a place where you can buy and sell uh, you know any amount you wish at any time of day. At the end of the day, I'm not against selling. Never have been. If you want to sell, I want you to be able to sell. But in order to get there, we need we need support from our community and we will and we will get there and i think in the next i would say now 60 75 days we are going to see a reactive order book we we will see an additional buy side we're going to do many things on the tokenomic side we're going to do things even on the commercial side to incentivize people being on the buy side and disincentivize them being on the sell side uh, as well as adding in more liquidity as well as bringing in market maker as well as bringing in a spot trader that will trade some treasury from the coin metro side to also help reinactivate the order book. Okay. Thanks for that explanation. I, I, I really needed to understand because I, it was kind of confusing to me how we can set up a, a floor price on an open market. Right. But I understand you're, you're uh, seeing it as a product, right? So it's a product right. that has a price and then people can of course trade it higher. I, yeah, or, or... The, the, the end of the day, the, the, if, you know, right now, is probably, if you take the data we have right now, you're not going to see what I see in the future. And what I see in the future is when you think about any utility object, whether that be like Amex points or whether it be, you know, some other airline miles, for example, uh, the amount of utility items or objects that you need to support a growing ecosystem is normally several multipliers higher than the actual volume of transactions. Because usually there's a multiplier of, you know, rewards or there's a multiplier placed on how these utility items actually work. And so as XC, as, as CoinMetro grows and as it grows, uh, you know, quicker, especially into like the next bear market or through this bear market into the next bull market, we're going to we're going to have a need for a certain amount of value to be locked in XCM. And if we don't have that value, we would actually run into the exact opposite of what we see now, a massive buy side with no sell side. And while that may seem better to a layman, it's not better. 
Uh, because what it leads to is if, if you're trying to buy and no one's selling, you can't buy. And it's, it, it, it may sound like a better scenario, but it's actually not a better scenario. And so that these, the, the, the price floor is part of that to make sure that as we grow the next four or five X from where we are now, that the tokenomics that we have can actually function. Because as we grow in volumes and we're trying to buy XCM, we need to make sure that there's enough value sitting in the sell side of the book to be able to actually function those tokenomics. If not, they don't function. And so there, there's a lot of things behind the scenes. But again, I mentioned the two, I think the two most important, at least for, for people that are listening, uh, we can definitely go down a whole rabbit hole about a whole bunch of <laughs> other you know, formulas and stuff to make sure that the mm -hmm. ecosystem can function. Uh, but, but definitely those are the two major points, I think. Okay, gotcha. Uh, now, any new exciting features that are coming uh, to CoinMetro or maybe new listings that you want to talk about? Anything that you can, alpha that you can alpha, share with us? A little bit alpha. Uh, yeah. there, there's, yes. well, we, as, as anybody who's been following us has seen, we've, we've kicked off a lot of new listings. We have this 15 weeks of summer uh, program that's been going on now for nine, eight, eight into nine weeks now. And we've listed more assets in that time than we've ever listed in the history of CoinMetro. <laughs> so we're going to continue down that track. And even after the 15 weeks of summer, you're going to see additional listings from CoinMetro. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to slow down a bit that, that gem exchange, because, um, you know, trying to find gems there, there honestly aren't many in the market. Uh, at any one single time. Uh, but we want to have a nice mix of things that we believe are still solid projects and also mm -hmm. things that we really think uh, are going to do well. And so I, I, off the top of my head, you know, we've, we've been looking at a few projects, I think, that are, that are quite interesting. We've also been looking at some that are relatively unknown. And I, I think the most, for me, the most exciting ones are the ones that are unknown. Uh, mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's 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 great for the business, but it's also great to introduce people to these things that potentially can do quite well. I can't really name drop anything on the show, unfortunately, but I would <laughs> say that it's important for for anyone just to join our Telegram. You know, go to go to Atcoin Metro, join the Telegram, lurk around. Uh, we share tons of alpha in that Telegram. I just got in trouble because on the AMA I shared a bunch of alpha. And, <laughs> and, uh, and our guys in marketing got pissed off. So, uh, so I, I I I genuinely do share a lot of stuff in terms of product. We have a lot of stuff coming down. We, you know, we have a lot of, we have Challenger Bank licensing now. We have EMI licensing in EU. Q4, we're going to be launching Challenger Bank services. So you're talking about debit cards, virtual cards, things that other companies already do. But as I said, we're kind of the Apple to the Microsoft. So when we do something, we do do it differently. We try to do things that reduce risk to, the, to our end client that, but, and, 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 have, and actually reduce a bit of revenue that comes to us, but create just a better overall journey for our clients in the end. And like I said, happy clients mean profitable business. Uh, you shouldn't ever start with, we want a profitable business. If you want to solve your client's problems, uh, that's how you have a profitable business. Um, and also just continually building on our app. We just launched our, our web app 5.0. We have a huge update coming uh, over the next month or month or two. That's going to, I think, completely revolutionize the app, even though now the app, comparatively speaking, the world was a year ago is absolutely exceptional. Uh, but we're going to continue working on that. And adding more passive income. Passive income, I think, is going to be a big thing for the next couple of years. Um, and, and trying to figure out how to add passive income opportunities that aren't, you know, linked to major counterparties like a Three Arrows, like a yes. Celsius, et cetera, so that we can ensure that, you know, the next time, because unfortunately, this is probably going to happen again. The next <laughs> time we see something like this happen in crypto, um, just like we didn't get majorly affected in this one, we won't be majorly affected uh, when it happens again. So. Awesome. Awesome. So I know you cannot mention listings, but I think you mentioned a few times that you're open to list Cadena tokens, right? Absolutely. So when it comes to Cadena, um, you know, we've 
like I said, that that was one of our our original gems. We'll call it was Cadena. I think when we listed Cadena, it was twenty two cents, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, I had two I had two calls with Stuart. Um, I had a call with Anastasia. I had a call with. I think I ended up having three or four calls. And you know when something clicks, it clicks. It's like any relationship you've ever had in your life. Uh, there's love at first sight, and then there's you know no, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and there's and, and and there's some you know there's definitely some ground in between the two. Um, but you know, they said the right things, they had the right experience, they had the right vision, that vision aligned with ours. And when we list something like that, we want to make sure that we provide value to their community and that, and we want to provide value to ours. And I mentioned that the, the Cadena staking that we did, um, we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, uh, KBTC, KETH, KUSDC to help with a centralized bridge for those. We've already been a centralized bridge for wrapped Cadena on Ethereum. We want to continue that relationship. It's a great relationship. We want to continue doing great things with Cadena. So K assets, absolutely. From an infrastructure standpoint, we're ready to roll. We can list K assets. Um, we want to find assets that fit into, you know, our, our requirements. And a lot of times I get asked, what are those requirements? And I give the same response. I can't really give you a bullet point list. Because just like when you go to try and, you know, I can tell you from a high level, we look at the team, we look at the project, we we do to a certain extent a tech audit. Um, we want to see what the goal, what is the goal? Why are you here? What are you, why are you doing this? Why a token? Why a why a K asset? Why didn't you choose another? You know, why did you come here? What is your ethos of the company? There's a lot of different questions. It's really about understanding. Uh, you know, we don't want to go down the path of 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 getting in bed with companies that end up doing things that we're embarrassed about. Simple as sure. that. And so it's it's a it's a bit of a painstaking process, but we absolutely want to support the Cadena ecosystem. We're here to support the Cadena ecosystem. And we we are excited for the first K assets that get listed on CoinMetro. Okay, that's that's what what we all want to hear, right? <laughs> uh, now, on that line of you don't uh, of uh, having to be careful with who you are dealing with. A while back, there were some problems, some contro controversy around KDEX. So I think it would be good to kind of clear the air on that. You back then you made some public statement um, saying that you would need some clarification. You wanted to talk to them. Uh, how has that process been handled? Uh, have you had any any clarification? Are you now more okay with with everything that that transpired? So, I think there's the we. I haven't had the clarification. I haven't had that conversation actually. We've I've had conversations indirectly and directly with the Cadex team about different things. Um, but I haven't really had that conversation yet. And I guess that's partially because of my schedule and probably partially because of Nicholas's and, and the other team at Caddick's schedule that we haven't really sat down to have that conversation. I, I initiated the conversation. I was I, I saw the same public uh, announcement that was sent to that this kind of that summed up what happened. Um, you know, from the start, I was I was defending Caddick's in our channel um, because there was a few people that were quite vocal about what happened or, or what their vision was of what happened and why they thought that it was bad or unethical or, you know, whatever uh, adjective they decided to use. And I made a comment that said, look, I, from the face here, I don't see anything that doesn't, that, that to me would say unethical, that to me would say, you know, raising money and then using some of that money to buy into your own, you know, secondary raise I, I can see how people might see that as, you know, I, 
I can I can see how people could get upset. I can see it because, you know, but I also understand that there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't. In fact, most companies do it. And, and, and I hate I hate comparing things like this to traditional finance um, because we're trying to move away from a lot of things that happen in traditional finance. But in traditional finance, this happens all the time. It's it's akin to you raising money and then using some of that money to market to raise more money. That that's what it is. I guess. But there, yeah, go I ahead. just guess that what people were kind of concerned was more of the lack of transparency. Yeah, in the and 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 I that's 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 something that that's the one thing because if it was just based on you know this is what happened. Look, every 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 CEO, every company makes mistakes. I've made my fair share of mistakes. Obviously, yeah. And I've learned over time that the best thing you can do when you completely, literally, like put your, like step in shit, basically, like just fall on your face is quickly let everybody know that you fell on your face, what happened, how it happened, and move on. And I didn't like personally the fact that it took so long for them to make a comment about what happened. And initially pretty much said it didn't happen or tried to evade the question. I understand why. It's very difficult to run a company uh, when you're exposed 100% to your community. It's not easy. As I said, there's a fiduciary responsibility to token holders and shareholders. And sometimes those two fiduciary responsibilities are exactly opposite. Those shareholders want one thing, token holders want another. Your community wants something else. Mm -hmm. And you have an obligation to all of them. You have an obligation to your shareholders, you have an obligation to your community, you have an obligation to your token holders. And again, sometimes those obligations are completely opposite of one another. So I, 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 I get why it happened. I understand the frustration. I understand probably thinking, oh, what do we do here? If we say this, they might not like us. If we don't say it, we may have, you know, what do we say? You know, maybe they didn't, maybe there wasn't even communication internally and there wasn't an understanding of what happened. You know, I don't know because I, I didn't really get the full download. So I can't I can't comment on exactly what happened. What I can say is out of everything that happened, the one thing I didn't like was that they weren't quick to, to, to say, you know what? Yes, that's what happened. We can't give you the full download right now. We have we're going to create a report. But yes, it did happen. We're going to explain to you why. Um, and, you know, we're going to do our best to make sure that we regain your trust. That would have been the best. That would have been the best response. It's easy. It's quick. And and it's and it and it and it maintains that level of transparency and honesty you you would expect from a company you just invested in, and I didn't yeah. see that. Now, having said that, when I, I told the community that for now, working directly with Cadex wasn't going to be something we were going to be doing, because simply there was enough vo- there's enough voice inside of our community, where again I have a responsibility to make sure that I I do right by that community. And in this case, I, it's not that I have a whole bunch of pressure from, from, my, from my shareholders or I have a whole bunch of pressure from token holders to have a relationship directly with CADEX. And so right now, it's kind of status quo for us that I, I, I still need to have that conversation. We still talk because there, there is an intrinsic connection between us because we have Cadena, we have TokenSoft, CoinMetro, uh, and, and anything we do with K assets is going to benefit CADEX. And some of the things they do will benefit us through our centralized bridge. So there is a relationship and there's going to be a relationship because they are intrinsically tied to, to many pieces of the Cadena ecosystem. But for us to move forward with some type of listing, uh, I, I would need to understand exactly what happened. I would need to understand why 
what happened happened. And I, I would need to understand that in the future, when something like this happens, that their modus operandi for how they deal with it would change drastically. Um, I think, you know, people in life deserve chances. Like I said, everybody's wrong more than once in their life. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for giving chances. And I, I genuinely think that they didn't do this out of malice, but again, I have a community. So, you know, I need to, I need to act within those lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, now what projects do, would you like to see coming to Karina that haven't come yet? What kind of projects are you, are you imagining in Karina? Well, I, I think as, as any kind of new protocol, um, they, they, there's a lot of infrastructure needs, I think, in, in, inside of the Kadena ecosystem. Um, I saw that they gave out their first grants recently, and there was some infrastructure plays inside there, which was nice to see. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think there needs to be more of that. There definitely needs to be um, some additional work, I think, on uh, the, the UI, UX. Somebody needs to come out with, with what is like an ether scan And I know that they have a block explorer, yes. you know, chain web. Yes. It is, but it's, <laughs> look, for me, you know, for me, I own an exchange. I understand these things. I can work around pretty much any UI UX. That one's pretty, pretty rough. It's pretty difficult yeah. to use. Uh, and, and, for a layman, and for a layman, forget it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's just too much information that generally isn't needed by most people when they're looking up a transaction or trying to find transactions in a wallet, et cetera. Um, or an address, and 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 it's it's just confusing. So, I, somebody needs to step up and create, um, you know, essentially an EtherScan, a blockchain.com, something mm -hmm. that's a bit more user friendly uh, for the average Kadena uh, user. Um, and and that, that that's a big piece that that's still missing. Um, and I, 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 in general, just more infrastructure. I think infrastructure can be anything from like more DEXs for sure. And, and DEXs that focus on different things. Launch pads are great. And there's a few of those. So that's, that's great that there's launch pads <laughs> and there, there needs to be, um, you know, the thing is, is that launch pads and DEXs and centralized exchanges and, you know, better UI UX, those are all, those, those, those are all great pieces and we probably need a bit more, but they also need interconnectivity. So what I'd really like to see is that some of these players, we have, you have Marmalade, for example, that was a, that was a project under Kadena for NFTs, et cetera. And there's definitely NFTs that are coming out. I don't necessarily see though a connection yet between decentralized, decentralized exchanges, um, Marmalade, uh, the NFT marketplaces, the data providers, there needs to be better cohesiveness between the ecosystem. If you look at other, you know, if you take Ethereum, for example, and you look at all the dApps and things that were built, obviously they have much more time behind them. Obviously there's yeah. been much more money invested, et cetera. But if you look at how they started the same way, very much silos, lots of silos building, lots yeah. of silos. But now when you look at that ecosystem, it's not, there are still silos, but there are very few silos and comparatively speaking to, to the interconnectivity that now exists between many things, right? Different wallet, you know, when you go on a platform and you want to connect a wallet, there's a slew of wallets you can connect. You can interconnect between platforms. There's lots of ways to be able to jump between uh, protocols and layer twos and layer ones, et cetera, et cetera. So um, not that layer twos are needed for Kadena because they already solved that problem. But the point is, is that there needs to be a better cohesiveness. And I think Kadena themselves needs to put, need to play a big part in that. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be very, I, I like, I, I really do like Kadena. I am a Kadena bag holder myself. I think one thing Kadena could do entirely, and not, this is not just on CADEX, this is Kadena, is, is communication. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we, we currently have a few questions uh, about uh, to Kadena about their bonding program. No answer. I, um, I had, had the chance to talk with Emily Pilmore. Yeah. And she's not marketing. She's not, uh, but she's kind of up there. So she has a, a good side of, of the business and knows about it. So I told her exactly that, that there's something about marketing and about uh, communication that's lacking. And she acknowledges it. And they are making strides, I think, to um, improve on that. Uh, and they, she, she gave me some numbers about Twitter interactions, Discord, some things that are slowly building up, which is good. But I agree with you. That's kind of something that Karina themselves need to need to yeah I, I think on. it's just generally kind of a, a way to do business it's not necessarily about channels they can be on every channel possible and still have bad communication <laughs> I, I think it's just a, it's an ethos that needs to change inside the business that um, they need to be more they need to communicate more outwardly they need to be more honest in that communication they need to you know I know I know a lot about missing roadmaps and deadlines. Woo, I know a lot about that. You know? <laughs> um, but again, the thing is, is that when there's a face there to take responsibility for missing that deadline and there's somebody that's like, yeah, you know what? We messed up. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, we're working on it. This is why it happened. That that, that goes a long way. That yeah, goes a yeah. long way. And I, and I, and I think they, they, they need to, and I, and I understand that, you know, the background that most of the guys at Kadena have, they come from places you don't do that. And so did I. I came from traditional finance. You don't do yeah. that. You know, you don't no go and take that. a mea culpa in traditional finance. It just never mm -hmm. happens. But yeah. that's the reason why we that why crypto was created. That's the reason we're all here. We don't want yeah. to repeat the mistakes of traditional finance. And 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 just being, you know, being a human um, and being there when people want to ask questions and and it's it's needed, right? There should be no hard questions, right? There's no such thing as a hard question. There never is. Um, because if it's an honest question, it just deserves an honest answer. Simple as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, uh, that's basically what I wanted to talk with you. Um, thanks a lot for, for being here uh, and answering everything that, that was thrown at your way. Uh, anything you want to share in terms of like where people can find you, CoinMetro? Um, Absolutely. You so you can it. find CoinMetro on, on pretty much every social media a network at Coin Metro. Telegram is where lots of our community hang out. That's at Coin Metro as well. You can also find me on Telegram at Kevin Merco. Uh, no space. I guess you couldn't put a space in a Twitter in a, in a Telegram name. But just in case you've never been on Telegram, there's no spaces. Uh, also, I'm on Twitter at Kevin Merco. At Coin Metro is also on Twitter. Like I said, we're on we're at Coin Metro everywhere except I think maybe Instagram where we're at Coin Metro underscore official. Somebody grabbed Coin Metro before we could for some reason. Uh, so hats off to them. Um, but yeah, come to our Telegram. We're on Discord as well. Hit us up on Discord. Um, we have a great community. We'd love to have you be a part of it. And we're always there to answer questions, whether they're whether they're easy or hard. We like the hard ones. Hard questions. Are great. Okay. Glad to know. Uh, you know, guys, if you want to ask questions, we'll add the links in the description below. And you guys can go ask the hard questions and the easy ones as well. Uh, anything you want. Kevin, again, thanks a lot. And see you next time. Bye, Thank guys. Thank you. Cheers. Oh.